The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church Pulpit Series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Excellent. Thanks, Vicky. So our our theme today is Jesus the Saviour. Jesus the Saviour. I want to mention a name to you, Manuel Gonzalez. I wonder if that name rings any bells for you. Maybe it does. He was the guy that was the first rescuer in 2010 when 33 miners were trapped in a Chilean mine. There was an explosion and they were trapped underneath for about 69 days. He was the first guy to reach them. And uh, at great risk to himself, he descended about 2,000 feet underground to rescue these miners. And I don't know if you remember watching it on television as it unfolded and different miners were being rescued and, and just seeing the relief on the friends and family that had been waiting for days and days to find out if their loved ones were even alive. And I wonder what it is about stories of rescue like that that captivates our attention. That, you know, it's these live streams on TV that people are glued to to watch. And, and, and it just seems to grab our attention somehow. I wonder if it is because of the courage that is shown by these rescuers who go in to really dangerous situations to rescue other people. Or I wonder if it's the sense of sacrifice of these people who are willing to give up their lives potentially for sometimes total strangers, people they don't know. Or I wonder if it is the sense of gratitude that we see in the faces of the people when their loved ones are rescued and restored to them. Or I wonder if it is the sense that it somehow redeems our hope in humanity, that there's good in us, that there is a sense that we're willing to sacrifice for others. Or maybe it's really the hope that if we are ever in a situation like that, that maybe someone will come to get us, to rescue us. So maybe it's all of these things. But definitely there seems to be this sense where this idea of rescue, salvation captivates us. And that's the wonder of Christmas, that we do have one who has come to rescue all of us from the most hopeless, as Pete shared, desperate situation that we're all in. And his name's Jesus. You see, and this idea of salvation or the idea of Jesus being a savior is very central to the Christian faith. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, it's become a little bit of an embarrassing cliche to say 
times talk about Jesus as the Savior, partly because of all the televangelists who ask that famous question, are you saved? Unfortunate. Or maybe for others, it's become an irrelevant term, a theological jargon that has no relevance to them or doesn't have any meaning or significance to them. I'm not sure. But see, even even this cliche, just like every other cliche, uh, emerges because there is an original idea that's good and true and right, but it's been overused or misused, and so it becomes a cliche. And so I want to try this evening as we look at this idea of Jesus being the Savior, just try and peel away and strip away some of that misuse and abuse and go back to the original idea that the Bible talks about. And when we do that, we find that right at the beginning, in the birth narratives of Jesus, this idea is there. And we find in Luke chapter 2, for instance, uh, the, the famous reading that is always read around Christmas time about the shepherds being out in the field. And it says in verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior, there it is, has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So Jesus was given this title. It's his mission statement, if you like. His purpose for being on planet Earth, born to be a Savior. That was his job description, if you like. And then when we go to the book of Matthew, to the other birth narrative, we we find even more information because really Luke doesn't tell us, well, what did Jesus come to save us from? How is he a savior to us? Well, Matthew answers that question. And this time the angel appears to Joseph and it says this, but after he had considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus is the anglicized version of a Hebrew name, Yeshua. And Yeshua comes from the verb to save. So not only is Jesus' title Savior, this was so important, so intrinsic, so vital to his very core, his very definition, that the, that the name that was to be given him was to be Savior. See, for us, you know, we pick cool names and trendy names. It doesn't, you know, for our kids... We don't really think about the meaning or the significance, but in Hebrew culture, the name of a person was meant to embody them as people. And so for Jesus to be given the name Savior was so significant, so profound, so powerful. And Matthew tells us that he came to save us from our sin. Now that word has negative connotations for a lot of people. We, we have a strong emotional reaction to that word sin. And partly Christians are to blame for that. It's because well-intending, sometimes very religious people, not even Christians maybe, have used that word as a weapon against others. To, to be judgmental, to say we're in and you're out, you're a sinner and I'm not. And there's an arrogance and there's a, there's a, a hypocrisy behind that word. And so it has a great negative perception. But be that as it may, the, the Bible uses that word everywhere. And perhaps... It's because we have a wrong understanding of sin that we have a reaction to it. 
See, I love the way Pete put it, and that's exactly right. Sin essentially is not acknowledging God as our creator. That's it. And we're all guilty of it. And that's what the Bible says. We're all guilty of that. I, I don't have the right to point to you and say, you're a sinner. I need to point to myself and say, I am a sinner. And that's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that there's no one righteous. Not one person who does that intuitively and intrinsically acknowledging God as our creator and worshipping Him as that and submitting to Him as our Lord. That's what sin is. And we can do that in different ways. We can do that by breaking all of God's rules and living a terrible, immoral life. The traditional understanding of being a sinner. A really bad person. Or we can do that by being really religious and then being really good people, moral people, upstanding citizens in our country because we want to use that as leverage against God. And we say, God, now you owe me. Now you must save me. Now I deserve your forgiveness. Either way, it's not acknowledging Him as God. And the Bible says that when we do that, we're separated from Him. And just like a flower that's removed from the sun that begins to die, so we, when we're separated from the life of God, begin to experience death. And the Bible says if we continue in that state, we will forever be separated from God. That is what Jesus came to save us from. That is what makes Him the Savior. Because when He died, He lived a perfect life. So He owed nothing in His account. It was clear. And so He can die in your place, in my place, as our substitute to absorb fully the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the separation of God, the abandonment of God. All of those things that we deserve, He takes on Himself. And because of that, He can offer us forgiveness, peace, joy, hope, as Peter shared. A new life, and not just that, but eternal life with God. He offers us that for free. And yet, what intrigues me is that so many people reject it. So many people say, no, thank you. And I wonder if it's because they don't really understand how Jesus saves them. You see, when we go to the, the story of the crucifixion, there were three groups of people there. And I wonder which of those you most identify with. You see, there was the religious people who could not understand how Jesus could be a savior if he was being plastered on a Roman cross. They just couldn't get it. They couldn't understand how a savior could be dying on a cross. And when they considered that, they, they didn't think that they really needed it because they were religious. They were good people. They were the religious elite in their community, uh, respected by everyone. And so they ridiculed Jesus. They jeered. They, they sneered at him. They said, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. You see, they, they were essentially saying, we don't need you to save us. Actually, we think we can do a better job saving ourselves than what you can pass it up on that cross. And then there was a thief who said, Jesus, how about you get yourself off the cross and get me off the cross as well and save me that way. There's a whole bunch of people who want Jesus to save them the way they want to be saved. And they come to Jesus with a whole bunch of conditions. Go, okay, Jesus, if you will just do this, this, and this, then I will believe you. Then I will follow you. They, they, want, to, they want to negotiate. And that's what the thief on the cross was trying to do. He's saying, Jesus, you, you get yourself off and then save me too. But then there was the other thief who somehow believed that by Jesus dying, it would be his salvation. And he humbly just says, Jesus, will you be my savior? That's it. Will you be my savior? And in that humble, faith-filled request, he found hope and forgiveness and 
the wonderful assurance that he was right with God. And Jesus makes this promise that's available to all of us, that today you will be with me in paradise. We have that assurance of eternal life in the future, but even the God life here and now, if we're willing to trust what Jesus did on the cross rather than all the good things we try and do. So let me ask you, where, where do you stand? Which group do you most identify with? The religious elite who don't think they need a savior because they're good people? Or do you side with the, the thief, the immoral person who just says, okay, Jesus, here are my conditions. Or will you stand with the humble sinner who just says, God, I recognize I've messed up. I've done wrong. And my only hope is your perfect salvation. And I just accept the gift that you offer me. You see, it's not enough to know this and it's not enough even to have these options. You have to choose. You have to accept like you do a gift at Christmas. There was a story told about a, a lady who was trapped in, in the top story of a building that was on fire and every ex escape was blocked with flames and smoke and she couldn't get out. The fire crews got there and they, they set up a ladder and, and got to her and the fireman raced up to the top and he's standing at the top of the ladder with his arms open wide saying, trust me, jump, I'll, I'll, I'll save you, I'll rescue you. She gets to the edge of the window and she looks down and she sees how far down it is and in fear she retreats back into the flames and after staying as long as he could up there pleading for her to just come with him and be saved and to be rescued he finally had to leave because he couldn't stay any longer and he gets down to the bottom and with tears in his eyes he says to his captain i tried everything i could but she just wouldn't let me save her you see it's not enough to know that jesus is offering his salvation you must accept and you must receive it in order to experience him as your savior. And I pray and I trust this Christmas that you will seriously and strongly consider Jesus and that he would become your savior this Christmas. And for us who know Jesus and are following him, I encourage you to tell everyone you know that there is salvation in Jesus and live in gratitude and in worship of what Jesus has saved you from. Spend time over these next few days over Christmas reflecting on the difference that Jesus has made in your life and tell anyone who listen, let me tell you my story of how Jesus has saved me. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the hope of Christmas. I thank you for the great news of Jesus coming to be our Savior. Thank you that we don't have to be separated from you anymore. We can be made right and reconciled with you. And Lord, we ask you to continue to be with us as we worship you, as we sing about you, as we, Lord, enjoy being together on this Christmas Eve. That, Lord, you would draw our hearts closer to you. Draw us in worship, draw us in humility, draw us into that place of receiving your forgiveness and grace that you freely made available to us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name.